Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Renee, it's my favorite time of the year. It's clay court season. Uh, we know how excited you get about that red stuff. You get excited about the red stuff too. Come on. Yeah, I mean, I do. I, I do enjoy watching uh, tennis on clay a lot. Um, I just think the variety of shots, the drop shots, the sliding. Um, I was never a fan um, as far as my results were concerned on clay just because <laughs> it 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 was it it, inqu- it really requires patience to be a great clay court player and sort of waiting for the right shot but i love playing on clay because i loved to slide so that in itself um really i enjoyed it especially paris there's nothing like the clay in paris caitlin you play like through the the season you know rome and Madrid and all the courts are beautiful, right? But then all of a sudden you turn up in Paris and you step onto the courts there at Roland Garros and the courts are just, I don't know what they do. I don't know how they treat them better, but they just are so much better than everywhere else in the world. And it's just always a pleasure. So that's, uh, yeah, I do like the clay too. I, I am shocked constantly because we, the racket team tends to attract a mix of people who have maybe grown up playing tennis and a few super fans, but a lot of people who haven't really spent a lot of time on court. And I'm always shocked to hear that people have never really played on clay before. If, if, um, especially if they're like kind of on the more recreational side of the sport. And I tell them like, Oh my God, this is, it's only going to get better. Like if you've only played in hard court, that's the worst version of tennis. Like clay, clay tennis is amazing to play. I mean, I love grass too, but it's a little harder to find, but clay court tennis, it's so easy on your body. It's fun to slide. Um, you know, if you can find some red clay courts, which, you know, we actually have some here in New York, um, you know, you're not going to get much better of an experience, uh, playing. And, you know, despite the fact that it was not, uh, it was the only grand slam that you never, that you never won. Oh, thanks. Just rub that in. Well, the fact that the fact that you won every other one is, is, you know, no one will ever take that away from you. But I also feel like the, um, you know, the French uh tennis federation is so difficult the french open is always doing its own thing and yet we love it because maybe because it's so persnickety you know what i mean persnickety yeah well i made the finals of mixed and doubles there Um, (laughs) yeah so i wasn't a complete boob on it and i won the italian open in doubles so um, i wasn't a complete like you know 
as I said, I really liked to play on clay and it was just it the way that you had to play doubles on clay was a little bit different. You had to really be, as I said, a little bit more strategic with the way you hit your volley and um, it really pushed me to, to be better. Um, and also being a servant volleyer, playing on clay was a little bit more difficult because you didn't quite have that footing at the net um, right. that you did on any any other surface. But what was it like that, to win the like, Italian Open? I mean, that to me, looking at the Forza Italia, like that's the most beautiful tennis court in all of uh, the world. Oh, it was great. Yeah, Lisa and I beat um, a girl called Maui Sona and uh, Arancha Santos for Cario in the I've final. I've heard of her. Yeah, you've heard of her. Oh, well, Maui's great. Uh, Sona was a great uh, player. She was a lefty, super, super, super ultra talented. Um, you know, was a good player in her day, like very good singles player and very good doubles player. And uh, so that was a lot of fun to win that tournament. Yeah. I mean, it was great. Yeah. That court is so cool. It's like, you're in a, you really feel like you're a bit of a gladiator when you walk in there. It's very totally. Cool. It's covered with, you know, those uh, Mussolini era, like Olympian statues. Like they've just, you know, sort of ambled down from Mount Olympus. It's really cool. It's breathtaking. I've never been to the tournament and I would like to go very, very much. That seems like a fun one to visit. I love the clay season. I just love having the red on my screen in the background. It's always like during this part of the year where it's a little warmer in Southern Europe. So you kind of wish you were there because in New York, it's still clinging to colder temperatures. You know, it's like the whole, I get really swept up in the sort of like emotion of the clay court season. I think that's why I like it so much. Yeah. No. Anyway, moving on. Moving on. Well, we should get into today's interview, but before we do, I feel like we should address something that is looking a little bit farther ahead, but that has been on everybody's mind, which is grass court season, but mostly Wimbledon, the All England Lawn Tennis Club, and their current decision, and I call it current because it might change, um, their current decision to ban Russian and Belarusian players from playing this year's tournament. Um, which has caused obviously a lot of controversy. A lot of people have come out um, against it, saying uh, that it sort of penalizes the players unfairly who don't even seem to have direct ties to Putin. On the other hand, people, you know, are, are sort of uh, saying, you know, if if we don't make a case out of every, uh, you know, every every corner of the world that Putin has his uh, tender hooks into, then we're missing an opportunity to to make a big statement about what is clearly an atrocity going on in Ukraine. LTA and Wimbledon are on one side, and as well as some, you know, former players, Pam Shriver has come out in support of the ban, as has, you know, the royal family seems to be keen to support it. But the ATP and WTA on the other side and some of the players are saying like this is a you know, unfair. It's a boondoggle. Um, what do you think? What's 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 on your mind when you look at something like that? Well, you know me, Caitlin, I tend to not be too ambiguous with my decision making, <laughs> no. but um, I will say this situation really, honestly, um, I'm a little perplexed with it. I mean, I'm I'm just sad overall about the whole thing, to be quite honest. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously what's happening in Ukraine, a country I've been to, is just, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. And I, I really, I just have no words for what that country and the families and people and all the players on tour. And I've spoken to many of them about, you know, the predicaments that they've been in and just, you know, their father's still being there. It's just horrendous. Um, I do feel sorry for the Russian players in some respect, because obviously I know a bunch of them and I know that they would never be okay with this war. Um, But, you know, the flip side is, look, I've spoken, as I said, to some, some Ukraine players and, you know, they they one one in particular I spoke to was a little upset that the players 
the Russian players didn't come up to them or her personally. I'm not going to tell you who it was because, you know, I don't want to get into all of that. But she said, you know, one of the things that upset her was that they did not come to, a lot of the Russian players did not come to her just to sort of say something to her, whether it just be, look, I'm really sorry, I can't say anything publicly because, you know, this guy's crazy, he could kill my family, he could, you know, make my life a nightmare in the in in the future. But I I just, I can't say anything publicly, but privately, can I just tell you this is how I feel? Mm-hmm. And I think the Ukraine players would have been a little bit supportive of not banning them at Wimbledon if they'd been more supportive of them privately. Um, even to, even maybe to go as far as to talk to the All England Club and say, listen, they have come to us, approached us, and we feel badly for them because they've come to us privately. They can't say anything publicly. So I don't know. I I, I just I oscillate back and forth. I feel because I, as I said, there are some players from Russia that I know would are just appalled by this, um, but they can't. They they really feel badly. And Putin really uses sports athletes to promote his propaganda, and that is just a fact. I mean, he had those Russian athletes and won gold medals and medals at the Olympics um, up on the stage when he had that, what the hell, whatever that was at Trump rally in Moscow. Um, and, and, and that, that is a concern because he does use sports athletes to propagate and, you know, to use his propaganda around the world and especially to his Russian people. So I don't know, I'm, I'm caught between a hot rock and a hard place with this one. I really feel badly for some of the Russian players and I, but I think it's a statement maybe that, um, tennis needs to make i don't i don't know i honestly don't caitlin yeah i mean i think it's you know our, our friend craig shapiro on his podcast uh had an interview with alexander dolgopolov he's talked to a couple other ukrainians Sergei stakovsky um who like went back home and enlisted for a time you know it, you're it's really heartrending you know obviously hearing about players who are trying to compete on an international circuit but also having the lives of their families you know, some of whom have been like, I remember Yastrzemka's family at one point was living in a garage, you know, it's just, it's, it's, yeah. you know, absolutely horrific. Um, you know, and obviously I don't think there are many players from what I understand, you know, I'm thinking specifically about Rublev writing no war, you know, uh, in support of peace, which to me felt like a very radical statement, um, on, on a camera after one of his wins right after the war had started. Um, you know, I, I don't know how realistic it is to, to think that these players are going to speak out. Um, you know, to me, it's, I, I think, taking international incidents, you know, I believe that port, sports and politics are inextricably interlinked, but I don't, I don't know that players themselves, banning the teams, absolutely, which is what tennis has done and a number of other sports have done. Obviously, we, we um, have seen the Belarusian and Russian teams not able to compete in team competitions, which to me seems right. Um, you know, banning individual players, many of whom don't even live in Russia, feels strange. It feels like a loyalty test. And it also sort of opens up a whole other can of worms, which is to say, you know, in 2005, when America was conducting an illegal war in Iraq, was Andy Braddock or <laughs> Venus Williams or, uh, yeah. you know, Lance Armstrong banned from international competition? You well, know, like, China Lance disappeared to play, to, Lance should have been for other reasons, but, you know, was, was, are we banning Chinese athletes for an autocratic Chinese government? Uh, you know, and the fact that they disappeared a WTA player under our noses, you know, I, I, for me, it's, it's more, if you want to go after Russia, take all the Russian money out of tennis, donate all of the proceeds to Ukraine, make the oligarchs who have access to your fancy clubs and your fancy cars and their fancy yachts and your fancy schools like Oxford and Cambridge. And I kind of am limiting this to Britain because I think the U S has frankly done a better job. 
uh, and has less of its hands dirty on this particular issue with Russian money um, than than Britain has, which is why this strikes me as being very performative without being, um, you know, having much substance. But yeah, I agree with you. It's it's a tough, tough situation all around, and it's just sort of sad. Or, and, you know, and the reason I said it was a current current decision is, you know, we'll see whether it, um, you know, whether it stands after all this blowback from a lot of international bodies. But I do think yeah. like other tournaments are going to be looking for Wimbledon to sort of set the set the tone. The Italian Open reportedly has been looking at a similar ban. I don't know if the US Open plans to do that. I just think I think banning people for loyalty pledges is a pretty bad precedent. But I do agree that, you know, anytime the sporting world can demonstrate how wonderful it is to have players from all sorts of places setting aside their differences and coming together in celebration of sport, you're kind of thumbing your nose at any autocrat by by having you know the power of uniting us rather than dividing us be evident so yeah it's it's it felt like addressing just because i've spent on the, the minds of everybody in the tennis world and it doesn't seem like it's going to go away yeah i as i said i mean the wta atp i'm sure they're talking about what they can do about it because i think they feel a responsibility to protect the players individually um, but I know that they're also hearing it from the players from Ukraine, <laughs> you know, yeah. and what, what, are the, what are you guys going to do about it kind of thing. Um, but as I said, they're, they're looking at maybe taking points away from Wimbledon. And if they do that, it'll become a very glorified um, exhibition. But having said that, if I won Wimbledon this year without points and uh, they told me I wasn't getting points when they gave me that trophy, I probably wouldn't care too much. Yeah, you still put the trophy in your trophy <laughs> case, you know? I'd still probably make out with a Venus Rosewater dish in front of a, you know, a crowd of a couple million people. So, <laughs> yeah, I totally take your point. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. As I said, I think overall, uh, my my take on this is it's just very, very sad. Uh, that's 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 how I feel. I'm just disappointed anyway. that it looks like Medvedev, who's like one of the few people who can, um, you know, who hasn't hit his stride on grass, might be denied the chance to play it. Like watching him get to the finals would be extremely fun, especially because it looks like, you know, the real changing of the guard has already happened, at least on the sort of like clay specialist side of the men's tour. You know what I mean? But, but I mean, and also Sabalenka, who made the semifinals yeah. last year. I mean, woof. She has a uh, ton of titles on grass. Not a ton, but she's got she's got grass titles. Like she's a real contender on the grass. Um, well, how are they gonna yeah, and I'm thinking how how are the WTA gonna manage that? Are they just gonna let her points drop off because she couldn't play it? So that's a you know, that's and that's a lot of points. Semifinals are, is a lot of points to drop off. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that in particular um situation because she's gonna drop a lot in the rankings because of it. And and not really any fault of her own except for the flag that's next to her name. I tell you what. Tell you who's happy. All the Russian players that left Russia and decided to represent Uzbekistan and <laughs> right. Kazakhstan. I mean, per usual, Yulia Putin Seva has the last laugh, you know? You might think she's crazy, but she's really not. Crazy like a fox. Exactly. All right. Well, uh, speaking anyway. of um, people who are very smart, I am delighted that you were able to sit down with Jenny Brady, who is a phenomenal American player who's had uh, a similar uh, sort of uh, semifinal and final showings at slams in the last couple of years has been sidelined by injuries, uh, which she's working her way back from at the moment. Um, but I'm talking about, of course, Jennifer Brady, um, a UCL, UCLA player, a college educated player, a, um, a humble kid from Pennsylvania, as far as I can tell, um, give me a sense of how Jenny's sort of seen on the tour. Obviously she's a beast on the court, but 
it's interesting getting into her personality a little bit as you guys do how's she seen and how do other players sort of think about her oh she's the best I mean there's certain players that would sort of walk around and you you can't not like them um, and that is for sure Jen Brady I mean she's just constantly always in a like fun loving mood always making fun of herself always you know joking around finding humor in most most everything um so she's a bit of a dichotomy as a human being though and we discussed that a lot um on the pod but she's just a joy to be around it was such a bummer she was having such a great like 12 months making as you said that u.s open semi-final against osaka where she played in my opinion that was the best match of the tournament that year yeah. And then, of course, made the finals of the Australian Open. And we get into sort of the mindset of, you know, being in a final as opposed to a semifinal and all this sort of stuff um, in the pod. But she's just, she's such a talent. I cannot wait to have her back on tour. She went through, obviously, you know, disaster with the injuries with, you know, her her feet and plantar fascia and then, and then got into a knee issue. Um, you know, I, I sort of put a little bit of blame on her um, ex-coach because I, I just have to think that, Jenny's that type of person that doesn't need to be pushed and you know she kept pushing herself and 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 you know he's a hard worker as well and I think that's where maybe some some issues had to have cropped up because she just you know is that you don't need to push her Mm -hmm. and as a coach you need to recognize is my player a little lazy and there are players out in the tour that you kind of need to push a little bit more like let's do a half an hour more or maybe get get into the gym a little bit more. Uh, and some you'd never have to do that with. And I, I won't name a couple that I think are a little bit lazy, but certainly I Jen mean, Brady doesn't. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm in the second category. If I had a coach, I'd need somebody to get on my ass. Like, get out of bed, do more, more, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You know, like I, my coach was always like, you're off. Our physical trainer would be like, you've been on the elliptical for five minutes. And I'm like, are you sure it hasn't been 45 minutes? You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you don't strike me as one of those types, you know? No, well, yeah, I mean, me in the gym, I, if I had a little issue with something, I, you know, if I said to my trainer, oh, my calf feels a bit, so, oh, we're stopping, boom, you know, because he just yeah. knew not to push me if, if I was. You could push yourself. You weren't, you're, you were never going to make excuses, but if something came yeah. up, it was because you were really aware of something maybe that was going to be a problem. Well, yeah, and I mean, I was fragile, Caitlin, I mean, just fragile. But um, <laughs> no, so I think with Jenny, I mean, that was kind of the issue. She kept playing through the pain and um, she needed to shut it down earlier. But, you know, the rest retrospect of her career is that she had the smarts to go to college and realise that she wasn't quite ready to be a pro, um, you know, mature, maturity-wise and also game-wise. Um, but in this respect, she kind of blew it with the injuries and really kept uh, pushing through and needed to have people around her sort of saying no. Um, but, hey, listen, mistakes get made. Players make these stupid mistakes all the time with injuries and, you know, push through them too much, and she paid the price. So hopefully when she comes back, she's going to be a threat, and, and, and I really hope that she continues to believe in herself in every aspect because, in my mind, she is as good as they come, and there's no doubt she can win a Grand Slam. I mean, she has a very similar game to someone like Ash where she hits a great first and second serve. She has a massive forehand. Her backhand is excellent. I think she could like even get her slice a little better. I think that will set her up more. I mean, we saw how much that helped Ash Barty in her career with the slice, uh, how much players hated it. And, um, you know, she can play at the net. So she's she's a terrific athlete, moves around the court as well as anybody. So let's hope when she gets back, we see the old Jenny Brady back in a, in a, in a hurry because we, we need her. She's, she's such a great player, especially in American tennis. 100%. Uh, the tour is better with her on it. It was really funny when we hosted a party at a, uh... We had a racket house last year late in uh, Beverly Hills and both 
Australian Open finalists, Naomi Osaka and Jen Brady were both playing ping pong back to back on separate ping pong tables. And it was just sort of funny to see the two of them who I think would both be safely described as introverts at a massive party, um, you know, really finding, finding a, a friendly space at the ping pong table. So it was sort of nice to, to, to make them feel like they obviously were welcome in the racket universe. And, and it was great to hear Jenny talk. So without further ado, I'll get to it. Thank you, Jenny Brady. Uh, we're happy you're on your way back. And uh, yeah, I agree. The tennis world is better with her in it, healthy, playing well. Um, and, you know, here's to having a swift recovery. Yeah. And just for everybody, um, the photo that you will see on uh, this pod is her playing ping pong at that party with her boot on. So <laughs> anyway, is it Jen, Jenny or Jennifer? Uh. Either way. Either way, Caitlin, here you go. All right, well, let's get stuck into this, Jenny Brady. First of all, thanks for joining me on the pod. And uh, it's just, it's great to see you. I know uh, people aren't going to see you, but they're going to hear your voice finally for the first time in a long time. But uh, firstly, before we get to where you've been and what's been going on over the last like year or so, um, I always ask my guests, why tennis? Like why and how did you get into tennis? Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, nobody in my family played tennis. Uh, my dad played sports growing up. He played football. So he kind of was the one who got me into it. Uh, one day he took my sister and I to the courts and um, we just in Pennsylvania and we just started playing there. And then eventually, I guess, you know, he started putting me in lessons. Um, and then my whole family, we ended up moving to Florida, not just for tennis, but it also ended up helping uh, because there's more more competitive here than in Pennsylvania so and then I started to grow from uh from just playing at a local park to then being in an academy at Everett and then just kind of progressing from there but I think my my parents always told me that I when I was younger I like playing this is going to sound weird but like I like always like had a ball in my hand like whether it's a football basketball baseball tennis ball something like and I like playing with balls okay um <laughs> and <laughs> but yeah so my parents told me that I was always just playing playing sports and um I guess just from a young age like being somewhat decent at tennis and then you know they they kind of just instilled it in me it, it's that's interesting because you are you're a little bit of a dichotomy as a human being because I find you to be so first of all you're one of the easiest person to ever be around you're one of the most liked players on tour you're always funny you totally taking jabs at yourself all the time um but yet it's a solitary sport tennis and you you're more sort of like a team type of person in some respects but yet you are quite a shy person so it's kind of like you're this interesting person to pick tennis but yet was that tough for you or because because your dad played a different sport were you interested in any other sport um, no, I was never really interested in another sport competitively. I mean, I always just played other sports outside of tennis practice and, uh, to what age, Jen? To what age? What? Till what age? Like, you know, because uh, up until I was probably like 15, 16 years old, I was always just playing, not, not competitively, but just like for fun, always playing, um, sports with my neighbors, with other boys. And, um, I was a bit of a tomboy growing up and, uh, 
yeah, it was just, just always outside doing something active. Uh, but yeah, it is, uh, it is interesting because I do love being on a team. Like I love the camaraderie. I love, I love shooting the shit. So uh, anytime, even just in the locker room with players, I like seek out people just to, just to go and, and kind of, you know, bother them. And uh, tennis is very individual. Um, and that's also something that I do enjoy too, because like you said, I am shy and uh, I enjoy just being out there on my own and no one telling me what to do and just being, just kind of being free and not having to answer to anyone or take, you know, take advice or um, anything from anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I always try and ask, you know, fellow players or, you know, anyone who's been successful, certainly in sports about, how important it is to not individualize so early sometimes and if you're a good athlete like you you are you know parents need to hear that sometimes you, you don't want to individualize your your kid too early if, if they're a good sports athlete and it sounds like that's sort of the route that you went with your tennis yeah yeah I mean going to an academy definitely helped I think uh, just having other people there I, I I can understand how how people can get burnt out at a young age. I mean, it's it's really tough. Just like all the travel, um, you know, just grinding and challengers, doing all that sort of stuff on your own. It, it can be it can be very very challenging. What would you tell a kid then? Before we get to sort of like why you went to college, but what would you tell it a kid, uh, you know, about that sort of grind and how important it is to hang in there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really important to hang in there, and I think. There's other players, not that you have to like go and be best friends with everyone, but there's always at least another player that, you know, is looking for someone to hang out with or just spend time with outside of the court. So I think it's also important to, yeah, they're not going to be, you know, they're also your competitors, but they can also be your friends at the same time. So it's, it's kind of finding that balance of, okay, yes, when we step on the court, like we're out for blood and, and both of us want to win. So it's, it's not being a, you know, being soft on them. Oh, I feel bad if I beat them. No, like, cause they want the same thing. So I think it's important to find at least people or just someone to kind of keep you going because it's really, really tough if you're alone. I mean, when I was playing challengers and stuff, just coming up, I actually, I loved it because <laughs> I was always sharing a room with like two girls, one girl, something. There was always somebody for me to, to just hang out with and, and pass time. So and we were always just, you know, in it complaining together. So it, it's not easy and just know that it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be glamorous. There's going to be times where you're staying at the Red Roof Inn or Econ Lodge and uh, you hear mice and in the, in, in the, you know, just running around. So, but you go through that and everybody goes through it to then, you know, put yourself in the position of playing Grand Slams and, and traveling to nicer tournaments. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, everyone sees these big checks that everyone makes, you know, and I do air quotes right now, like huge checks, but what they don't see is all the shit that goes on prior to getting to even a big, a reasonably big tournament, like a 125 is like, I'm making it now, you know, but they don't see you playing fives and 10,000s in the middle of nowhere, Texas, or in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, right? Yeah. So was that a, what was the catalyst to go to college for you? Because some, and I also stress this to parents, you know, and I hope some parents listen to this podcast is like, if your kid is not necessarily prepared to really go out there and the, it's the grind in the challenges, but it's also a grind on tour. So what would you, what was your reasoning to go to college 
um, as opposed to going straight pro? Yeah, I I didn't really have the results that, that my other peers had. Um, you know, I, I think Maddie at the age of 14 was already playing professional tournaments, winning winning matches, and I was still maybe grinding in, in grade four ITFs, losing first or second round. And um, I did have a good, uh, like, couple of runs in, uh, like, Orange Bowl Eddie Hurt doubles. Uh, so my, my my junior ranking was uh, solidified solely on doubles. Uh, but hey, yeah, hey, don't, don't knock it, man. We've all I'm been not there. knocking it. I'm saying it helped me. It helped me for sure. I mean, to be honest, I, I just didn't have the results. I didn't have the results. I didn't have the confidence. There was no reason whatsoever for me to go pro. The only thing was that I was training with these other players that were already turning pro. And I was probably the only one uh, in my age group in the 95s that were, uh, you know, looking to go to college. And I felt like a little bit of a failure because everybody else was turning pro and, you know, signing some deals with sponsors and, and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I was, I was excited to go to college. And, um, when I went there, I was planning on going all four years and I didn't know what I was going to do, to be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't say, okay, I'm going to go for one year and then I'm going to turn pro and try it out. I was like, okay, I'm going to school. I, I never was the type of person to, to plan ahead. I always just, you know, live life as, you know, day-to-day basis and never thought, never thought ahead, never thought, never thought about playing professionally. Um, you know, never thought about what it was going to be like in the real world. If I didn't play, I just went to school and enjoyed it. And, um, yeah, that, that was, that was my reason. You told me, um, back a while ago that basically Stella Sampras, who was your coach at UCLA, of course, if people have been born, like maybe yesterday, don't know that Stella Sampras is Pete Sampras's sister. Um, you told me that she kind of had to push you out the door. Like, Jen, you got this. Go. Did you believe her yeah. when she was telling you that? Yeah, both her and Rance. And um, also at the time, like my freshman year, our volunteer assistant, Laura Gordon, they were they were just like telling me. I mean, I played three in the lineup. I never – I played it was one and two. two. I played uh, I played a couple matches at two, but I played primarily number three. Um, Robin Anderson was one. Chanel Van Wynn, Kyle McPhillips, they were around two. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I ended up getting a foot injury and I told Stella to put me at like four or five because <laughs> I was like, let's win NCAAs again. So uh, I didn't care about the lineup. I just wanted to win the, win the natty. But yeah, I, they all just kind of not treated me differently, but, you know, I felt like, okay, I am like a pretty good tennis player. And I think like I was seeing, you know, other players doing well at tournaments, like around Miami Open, Indian Wells. It was around that time when I was still in school and, um, you know, I was going to class and they were in the third round and I was like, <laughs> oh God, I wish I was playing. And so something inside me was like, all right, I need to work harder, do some stuff on my own. And um, they, they totally supported me. And um, I actually ended up my, after my freshman year, I was playing some tournaments over the summer, like uh, 25Ks, 50Ks, just like all the challengers in the U.S. and uh, ended up doing pretty good and got my ranking up to like 220. And I was like, okay, do I, do I go pro? Like, do I keep playing or do I go back to school? And, you know, I talked to Stella and um, it was, uh, it was a decision that I, I decided to go back and then, um, you know, UCLA would honor my scholarship so I could go back and return anytime and, and they'll pay for my tuition. So I was like, okay, what's, what's four more months. And then when I leave, I'll have a ranking and, um, and then I can play. So 
yeah, that, that was, that was the reason why I, I left after my second year. I think the key to that when I, when you, when I hear that story from you is also for parents and for kids that go to college or think about going to college or not, is just, you know, really be honest with yourself, like deep down inside, because first of all, college is tough. Like you've got a lot of hours on court, you're doing your schoolwork. It's, it's not a walk in the park. It's a little bit of fun too, but, um, but I would say like turning pro, it's like you, that's it. You're pro, you're prof this is your profession now. So now you have to put everything into that basket and like this can be a little bit scary so um i'm glad you did it though yeah yeah it it definitely was a little bit scary um in the beginning i was like i don't know if i could do this and uh yeah it was it wasn't easy like i said before but but nothing's easy and i was like what am i gonna do like sit behind a desk and, and work you know i was like no way that's not no you way. again no way no so you know, cut to you're going into the pros, you sort of get your feet wet, you, you're starting to develop your game a little bit. I guess, what was sort of the catalyst to like push you? Obviously you changed coaches, you got away from the USDA system, you went to Germany, you, you got a different coach, he gave you a different mentality, but what are the things that like, you felt like changed in that six month period where you really, you know, I saw you qualify in China, you had a great year the next year. What mentally changed? Because I saw a little bit of a different person from you from that period on to making the Australian Open final. Oh yeah, I the whole time I'd been playing since I left college, I was always just uh, not necessarily going through the motions, but like when I would play matches, like one year I played Simona Halep in Toronto and uh, I, I lost in three sets. It was a close three set match, but the whole time I never believed that I would win. Like I never believed that I could win the match. I always was just kind of quotes satisfied that I would get a set off of, you know, a top 20 player um, or a top 10 player. So I never actually believed that I could be that player that I could be the one, you know, where someone was playing against me and I was the one who was seated or I was the one going into the match being the favorite. I was always just used to being the underdog and, being okay with with having a having a tough loss. So I think my mentality changed when I started seeing and realizing that um, you know I have I have the game, I have the tools, I have what it takes to to beat these players. And and they're just people. Like they're not, you know, they're not God. Like they're just people like I am. And they also they also make mistakes and they're not perfect. So I always just put the players who were, you know, ranked maybe inside the top 50, always just on a pedestal. And, um, you know, after maybe getting a win or two, I was like, holy shit, like, that's me. Like, I'm better than that. You know, I can, I can take it all the way. And then the results started coming. I started working a lot harder. I started believing in myself. And um, yeah, I think that's kind of how it started. It's, I talk about this all the time, Jen, it's about like, it's the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. And yeah. the conscious mind is the, you know, is the thing that you talk about, you say in press or you say to yourself, but then there's that little, little tiny Jenny in the back of the brain or me it used to be the little tiny stubsy in the back of my brain going yeah but you're not really quite ready yet, you know, I don't think yeah. you can win this match yet. And then all of a sudden, when the conscious mind and the subconscious mind are on the same page 
and they actually yeah. believe that they can win, that's when your life starts to change as a professional. So that's what it sounds like for you a little bit there. Because I have a funny story to tell, because we all know, you know, me doing courtside at ESPN, and um, it was one of your bigger matches. I think it was the third round of the US Open against Pliskova. Uh, fourth round. Fourth round. Sorry, I should have had that correct. You know, way to go, Renee, way to get your research right. Fourth round, <laughs> you're sitting there, it's the biggest match of your career at that point. You run out. You've got the wrong like M signage or whatever on your shirt. The umpire tells you you got to go run off the court. Can you take me through that little five minute stint there and, and explain to people this is one of the reasons why maybe things changed a little bit because I think you were still a little bit like what the hell am I doing out here? Tell me that story, please. Yeah, I can actually tell you a little bit more to that story even before I went out to the court. Great. So I was warming up in the gym in Ash and I'm first on at 11 and all of the courts were being called 10 minutes before. So at 10.50, I stop my warm up, I go downstairs and I'm there waiting and you're there too. And you're like, what are you doing here? You're like, you still have about like 12 minutes. And I'm like, what? I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm already warmed up. I'm ready to go. And I'm like, uh, what do I do now? And I literally just go into the locker room and I sit on the, on the bench for like 10, 12 minutes until one of the supervisors comes in and is like, okay, are you ready? And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess. I mean, I've been ready for 15 minutes. So I'm already psyching myself out. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to play on the biggest stadium in tennis. I'm, I did a warm up 20 minutes ago. I'm like, not really- the warm up up. I'm not warm. I'm not mentally or physically prepared for this match. So I'm just going out there. And then, you know, we did our courtside interview and then like you said, I, I was wearing a patch and the patch apparently was too big or they put it on wrong. And so I had to go run off the court, use the change room and put on a different top. So I was just going into the match all out of sorts. And I was just like, uh, and from that point on, honestly, I think my whole pre-match stuff lasted longer than the actual match. So <laughs> it was, it was not my best uh, performance, I would say. And yeah, it was it was fairly quick. All I remember is you running back onto the court and most people, you know, this happens. You've got to go change your shirt or maybe go to the bathroom. You come back out, you kind of sit down, take a sip of water. You kind of bring your heart rate back down. You get yourself back focused. You ran back on the court, ran, got your racket, ran back to the baseline, ran and got a ball from the ball, ball kid, turned around and served within, within about 35 seconds. And I'm sitting there courtside going, Oh, this is going to be an ugly start. And I think, oh, I think you double folded the first point. And I thought, 100%, 100%. Yeah. So I was like, oh my God, they're waiting for me. This is my first time on a stadium. Oh my God, I can't be late. I don't know what to do. I was freaking out. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> it was a quick match. But the good thing is, flip two a couple of years later. Okay. Yeah. And you make that run to the US Open semifinal. When you walked onto the court for that match, because for me, that was the match of the tournament. Um, you know, when you walked under that court, first of all, take me to the perspective of not having a crowd there during that year. And if that actually helped, helped you a little bit, because you're one player that I, I've said publicly that I think it helped because you were starting to get really good as a tennis player, starting to really believe in yourself. And then not sort of having the crowd expectation on you, I think helped you find the best Jenny Brady out there but take me through that maturation of you know a couple of years before and being like oh my god this is all too much for me to hey I'm here to stay so take me through that match yeah 
Uh, I mean, I think I agree. The, the, the whole crowd thing, I mean, our first tournament back in Lexington, I won that and there was no crowd. And then leading into the US Open, having no crowd, I was just, I just felt like I was hyper-focused on every single point in the matches. And I was also so hungry to just compete again because it had been so long and I was training so hard on my own here in, here in Orlando. And I knew I put in the work. So I had a lot of confidence in myself and my game and my fitness, everything. And um, I, I think it kind of showed that, that I was putting in a lot of work during that time off. And, uh, but I think that match, absolutely. If you even ask Naomi that, I, I'm sure she would say that was probably one of the best matches she's ever played too. I mean, it was just such high quality from the beginning until the end. Uh, it was just an unfortunate tie break for me in the first set. I, I did not play a good tie break at all. And I had a couple unforced errors, but then, um, it was a good second set. And then the third set, she just broke me once, but yeah, I mean, almost every point was very, very high quality. Uh, it, it was a hundred percent better that match than the match we played in the finals in Australia, I think both of us honestly didn't play good at all. Um, I think she served really well in that match with the U.S. Open. Um, that's one thing that I felt a lot of pressure on was when I was serving, I felt like I really had to play almost not a perfect game, but close to perfect game with a lot of first serves, high first serve percentage and like aggressive um, from the very beginning because I felt her pressure when she was serving. So um, that was huge for me in the second set to get to get the break to, at four, three, I think it was. And then, um, yeah, it, it was, it was a really, really high quality match and just kind of showed the improvements that I made yeah. three years later from 2017 to 2020. Yeah. Was the subconscious Jenny and the conscious Jenny on the same path in that semi and, and also the final of the Aussie or were they in still battling each other? In the final, she was battling. She was battling herself bad. But in the semi, like, I wasn't thinking ahead, wasn't, you know, thinking about any of it. I just wanted to win the match. Like, um, mm -hmm. but, but that final, I was actually so more disappointed in myself after the semi because I, I played such a good match. And I was like, gosh, if I played that good, like, how did I not win? And, I mean... Tennis is just a, a, a matter of inches, like a couple points here and there can make, make a huge difference. So, I mean, in when people say every, play every point like it's your last, like I think every point does matter. And um, that's kind of the, the perspective that I that I had sort of taken over the last um, couple of years, just just playing every single point the same, um, you know, whether I'm up 40 love or, or down 40 love. I think, you know, just just trying to to win every single point, it, it, it makes a huge difference. Um, Cause there's games where, you know, it, it, where, you know, I'm out of it and then all of a sudden, you know, I end up winning it. And then I'm looking back at that match and I'm like, holy shit, if I didn't like stay in there and believe in it, like I probably would have lost, lost the match instead of winning two and two, like it's a huge difference. And, um, but yeah, that, that Australian open final, I, I went into the match and I was like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be a grand slam champion. Like not that I don't want it, but I was like, I, I didn't, I, I didn't know what to expect. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's just all happened so fast. Yeah. Making my first Grand Slam semifinal to then making my first Grand Slam final right away. I was like, wow, like, I don't know if I'm ready yet. Um, but so, let so me tell you, you what. If you could go back, if you could go back or, or, or if you could be that person, like this is what happens when you get into coaching, right? Not, not yeah. yet, Jenny. There's a long way to go yet, but... But no, I'm what not ready. would you go back and say to 
Jen Brady in the Australian Open the day before or maybe even the morning before? What would you tell yourself now? Oh, that, that I'm ready, that I'm ready to, to hold the trophy, to be a Grand Slam champion. Um, just, just play, just play your game, believe in it, and uh, just have fun out there. I think, um, you know, every single one of the matches that I played, I may have not played my best tennis, and that's also important too, that you don't have to play your best, but you just have to find a way. You have to find a way to, to just grind and hang in there at any moment. Um, you know, the, the match can, can shift, you know, the opponent can get a little bit nervous serving for it, and then you kind of capitalize on that and also just being aware of how they are mentally and physically just kind of paying attention to that to the other side of the court as well so um yeah I would tell myself just just go out there and and, and fucking win it like <laughs> <laughs> I love it I love it good I'm gonna remind you of that the next time you're in a final because you will be one day um yeah. isn't it funny to think that you played Naomi like in the middle of nowhere Texas in some challenger I know that you guys played like first round isn't it yeah but did you think about when you when you think about the match in Texas against Naomi, were you like, yeah, yeah, she's gonna be number one in the world one day and I'm gonna play her in a Grand Slam final. No, I was like, oh my God, I just have to put two balls in the court and she like misses. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, she hit the ball so hard though, but I was like just running side to side for literally two balls and I was like, yeah, this is easy. Like I just have to make a ball and like put it in the court and she's That's gonna miss. Well, she's improved her um, ability to make I think she's the court. improved a little bit. <laughs> so, unfortunately, Jenny, you know, when you're having this incredible run, bang, terrible injury, plantar fascia issues, foot issues, probably overtrained when you had them, because this is unfortunately, we tennis players, you know, or athletes in general get injured and they just keep pushing, right? They just keep pushing through because it's like they can do it and you don't want to lose six months or you don't want to lose a year. Go through that a little bit, just quickly with the injury and uh, where you're at now. Yeah, yeah. so started having uh, pain in my heel and it, during Miami Open. Um, didn't really think anything of it, you know, like it would just a little bit here and there um, and then went over to Europe for the clay season. And then, you know, after my first round match in Stuttgart the next day, I was like, Oh my gosh, like we, I remember I was um, going to go into the gym with Daniel and we started like jogging and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I can't even like, I was like, I'm in so much pain. And um, I just kept pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, um, played it, Rome played a match ended up retiring and then went to Roland Garros so I was like okay I, I'm not gonna play you know I'm gonna come here I'm gonna withdraw um Sunday night I'm like screw it I'm gonna play like and I told myself I was like I'm only gonna play like but I'm stepping out there and I'm finishing the match like I'm not gonna do you know I was like that's why they came up with this lucky loser you know 50% prize money because I was like okay you know I go out there I play a couple games I'm not gonna you know I'm gonna get fined and I totally respect that and um ended up winning a round you know, next day couldn't really walk played my second round won that and then um third round I was playing Coco and and I, I didn't only just have foot pain at that point because I was just like compensating with the rest of my body like I started having back spasms I couldn't serve um everything kind of went and I just had to end up retiring. But yeah, like you said, like I just kept pushing my body and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And I never really had like a bad injury like that before. Uh, so it's always just been something like, Oh, okay. You know, just play through it and it'll go away. And, um, 
yet. No, no, it, it wasn't one of those. And then ended up skipping the whole grass season, um, played the Olympics, uh, and then was playing in a tournament in Cincinnati. Was way too soon. Uh, still was having a lot of pain. Like I remember practicing and just like crying during practice. And um, but like always just keeping to myself. Like I've never I. I'm also not very good. I like to just, you know, push through it. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, you're not weak, you know, just keep, keep playing, like keep playing, you know. It's just, Where do you get that from? Like, Where do you get that from? My dad, <laughs> my dad, for sure. Yeah. I, he instilled like a football mentality in, in me. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, but you know, in football, they just inject a little like steroid in there and go, go and play this game. And they yeah, they're literally. like a six year professional career, pretty much. That's like a max. Yeah. I know, I know, but you know, you live and learn. Um, and I was playing a match against Ossipanko in my second round match, and I ended up tearing my plantar fascia. Um, so, and while this started going on, like back in July, I started having a little bit of knee pain. And so, uh, because I was compensating so much, um, went to the US Open with a torn plantar fascia, didn't know it was torn, didn't get an MRI. Uh, and was having pretty bad knee pain. And I was remember I was like practicing, I was hitting some serves and I felt like a crack in my knee. And I was like, oh my God, ouch. And ended up getting an MRI and they were like, okay, you have a stress fracture. So I pulled out a US Open. Um, funny enough, I was supposed to play Emirati Khan in first round. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So uh, hey, uh, she's, she's set for life because of you pulling out. Hey. Yeah, you're welcome, Emma. You're welcome. You can thank me later. Um, so yeah, and uh, I've been rehabbing both my injuries. Uh, been out since August. Uh, my foot's feeling pretty good. Um, my knee ended up having. Uh, it was a lot worse than expected. It was uh, so. I have uh, cartilage piece that I like kind of broke off. So I, a couple of weeks ago, I had, um, surgery and they went in there and, and, and scoped it and, um, cleaned it up. And so, uh, yeah, I was hoping to be on court six weeks post-surgery, but, um, you know, the, the idiot always, inside of me. Always go a well, little. I also was kind of pushing it on my own. Um, I was doing some stuff on my own. I like to test my injuries and, uh, not that I made anything worse, but I've kind of given myself a little bit of a setback because I wanted to, because I was just going mad. Like, um, it's been so long since I've played and, um, you know, really like done anything, um, you know, so, like push myself physically. So, I mean, I mean, the, the ultimate question is what would you tell yourself a year, you know, a year and a half ago? And I think the answer is just, you know, when you, when your body's screaming at you, take the time. Uh, yeah. When your body's screaming at you, stop. Like, I probably would still be, I would probably be playing. I mean, probably you never know, but um, I could have prevented it from getting this bad uh, if I had just listened to my body in the first place and shut it down for, you know, a couple of weeks, a month, listen to my body before, you know, just trying to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Is that the, I think the lasting legacy of someone like Ash Barty, who you were good buddies with, played doubles with on the tour from time to time and, um, you know, Ash is pretty similar to you, a total tomboy, can play any sports, um, you know, shy, but yet easygoing. You, you're very similar in that respect. 
is it the legacy of Ash to say, if you don't want to play, don't play. If you're injured, don't don't play. You've got plenty of time on your hands. Obviously, Ash is you know retired now, but don't you feel like you know her not playing throughout that whole pandemic year because she just didn't want to travel and deal with all that quarantine? Do you think something in that is to help other players say, you've got plenty of time, like calm down, like you've still got so much time, Jen, on your hands. And so hopefully you're taking that to heart. Yeah. In the moment, it's really tough to think. It's tough to think, you know, oh my gosh, I'm missing one tournament. Um, but even then, like you don't have to play every single week. It's, it's absolutely draining mentally and physically. The tennis season is almost 11 months long. So um, there's plenty of tournaments to play, and I think it's also being smart with how you schedule your tournaments, how you schedule practice, giving yourself time to rest. Um, I also never took, you know, that last year and a half, I was a little bit of a Nazi. Like, I just kept going and going and going, and it, no wonder my body was just so broken down. I mean, to even just get to tear your plantar fascia is, like, it's very tough to do, and to get a stress fracture in your knee and um, cartilage damage at the same time is very hard to do. So it's something that obviously, especially at your age. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of just, my body was just telling me, just, just slow down. Like, don't, why are you doing so much? Um, and I didn't listen to it. And then, you know, it just got to that point. So um, I, I saw something, um, you know, Christian shared something with me, like a video and it was like, there was this former athlete who uh, she retired and um, she was just so used to going to the gym and just grinding and, and leaving, like feeling like she like is exhausted and just, you know, uh, accomplished everything that she wanted to accomplish, did so much and just was used to like torturing herself and torturing her body. And um, I was like, oh my gosh, that's how I feel. That's how I felt. I was like, that was, I mean, that's not, normal you know I mean it is like you do have to um, push yourself and push your body but to a certain point like to a certain point where it's like okay I'm not getting injured I don't have pain yes you can be sore you can feel tired but to a point where you have pain and if you keep going and going and going and the pain gets worse and worse then you have an injury and that's when you kind of have to be like okay let's slow it down here let's uh, take it easy are you at all not scared but I guess worried or scared a little bit to like go to that threshold because I mean I know how how hard it is and how much training has to go into being a great tennis player I mean these points are getting longer the matches are getting longer the players are getting better uh, is there any part of you that's a little bit uh, trepidatious about pushing yourself to that extreme again no if anything it's like keeping people are like preventing me from like pushing myself like two days post-surgery I was like getting on the assault bike and like trying to like push myself like 80 percent and and you know I didn't tell anyone and then I'm telling people now like telling the doctor and they're like what are you doing like you know wonder your knee is like not recovering like you can't be doing that shit like and I'm just like yeah but like I have to I have to get better like you know have to be I have to be ready like you know like if I if I want to come back like if it knocks off two weeks and they're like no you're only like giving yourself setbacks and I'm like oh okay so no I'm not I'm not afraid of going there it's more of like listening to my body the, the only thing I'm scared of is like uh I mean I'm not afraid of any no I'm not afraid of it no 
Good. I think that lesson here, Jen, is sometimes listen to people that might know a little bit more than you when it comes to actually the way the body works. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I know. I don't really know how it works. I just, I just know how to do what I'm told and, and, and more. Well, so. no, you don't do what you're told because the doctor told you probably not to do that. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> story. Yeah, you're right. You don't listen, I guess. <laughs> what do you, what, other than the competing part and what do you miss about being on tour? uh i miss i miss seeing everyone every single week uh all my friends are on tour i mean being home in orlando i'm like so bored there's nobody here um the only people who like when caroline dollhide comes back like you know the second she comes back i'm like hey what are you doing she just <laughs> wants to feel and i'm like oh or maddie and um yeah it's just i miss like seeing people i miss the competition i miss uh I miss the training. Um, I miss, you know, feeling like waking up and feeling exhausted or like, yeah, like, like feeling like, oh, okay, today, like today I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, this, and this. And then at the end of the day, like, I feel like I got better. So like, I just miss like the process really. Um, yeah, that's one thing. Um, yeah. Besides the competing, obviously. What's the, belief system and the belief in you once you're healthy and you're back and hopefully it sounds like to me that the maybe the the coming out of Jenny Brady again might might be in the, the US Open swing is that yeah I, that is my absolute goal that's my goal and uh, the doctor told me if I need to do anything more stupid I'm gonna have another setback so I'm listening now uh yeah that's 100% my goal is to 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 start the US um the US series and oh man I'm, I'm like so looking forward to it, but I know it's not going to be easy. Um, that's going to be probably the hardest thing for me is to, um, to know that I'm not going to just, I mean, you never know, but I'm not going to come back and win my, my first tournament back. And, um, I mean, you never know though. So, uh, but yeah, I know it's not going to be easy. It's going to be a grind, even just getting back on court, getting back, you know, physically, uh, you know, like just getting back into tennis shape, into playing shape. It's going to be, it's going to be tough, but I'm like so looking forward to um, blood, sweat and tears, baby. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jenny, last couple of questions like uh, coaching wise um, for you, what's the most important, like you try and help develop sometimes coaches into understanding how important it is to help players in certain ways, whether it be emotionally, physically, uh, their game plans, structure on the practice court, all of those things is what a coach um, is you need a coach for um, what, what are the attributes, you know, that are, are, are that you would like to pass on to like people out there that are listening, maybe that want to go into coaching or are looking for a coach for their kids. Um, I would say that the coach and the player have to have the same goal. They have to have the same, they have to believe and want the same things um, because I think it motivates each other. And also you start to believe in yourself a little bit more as a player when the coach believes in you. And um, I think that's really important because in those moments, um, it's about the tennis, but it's also mental. Like I'm watching a lot of these tournaments and I'm seeing a lot of mental shifts on the court and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. You know, I can see it right there. You know, if they don't win this point, it's like all hell breaks loose. So I think it's just knowing and believing that regardless of the score, regardless of the points, when you look up at your box and you see someone there, you're like, they believe in me. Like I need to believe in myself. So I think that's, that's really important. And then also just having the structure on court, um, the practices, you know, having a game plan, having, 
using, utilizing your weapons, making your weapons better, but also recognizing they recognize your weaknesses and they're not afraid to point those out. So I think because players can, can, I mean, I can name weaknesses of every player, you know, and, and I think, you know, if the coach doesn't know that, I don't think um, then that's the right fit. I think that they have to recognize the player's weakness and make that better. And then also make their strengths better. So I think um, just kind of like developing their game and then also um, helping them believe in themselves. All right, go back to being 20, Jenny. What would you tell your 20 year old self? You're a lot smarter than you think you are. You, you, <laughs> you, you can play tennis better than you think you can. And uh, it's, just, it's just a matter of time before, uh, before you know, things, things, good things happen. Wow, look at you getting all philosophical and old. You're old. What are you, 26 now? 27, like seven days ago. Oh, wow. that's right. You're a co Aries. High five on that one, my friend. Yeah. Yeah, go the Aries. <laughs> a lot of great tennis players were Aries, my friend. Um, oh, okay. I, I mean, I could talk to you for hours and hours, but um, I'm just really happy that uh, we got to spend a little bit of time with you today. And I can speak for a lot of people, not only in the television industry, coaching industry, other players. Man, we cannot wait to have you back because you're missed out on tour, my friend. Yeah, no, I can't wait to be back. I can't wait. Yeah, and I can't wait to see you five minutes before your introduction time on um, Arthur Ashe Stadium in the near future. Yeah, me too. I'll be a different person. Don't you worry. Yeah, yeah, you know, super focused now, super focused. Um, yes. Jenny, great job over the last like couple of years. I know you're going to be back. Trust in the process, my friend. Trust in the process. You, you'll be back and you'll be, you'll be kicking everyone's ass again with that monster serve and monster forehand. So trust it. Yeah, I will. I will. All right, Jenny. Thanks for joining me, my friend. I, I, I miss you out there, so we'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks. Do the rehab. Yes. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.